Welcome to Fatal Fims, a podcast that explores women in horror, thrillers, and mysteries. Each episode focuses on a female-created or female-led story. We are your hosts, Laura Celeste Cannon and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. episode, we look at the 2017 psychological thriller drama Woodchock, written and directed by Kate and Laura Malevi, starring Kirsten Dunst, Joe Cole, and P. Lou Asbeck. To get us started, here is a synopsis. A haunted young woman spirals in the wake of profound loss, torn between her fractured emotional state and the reality-altering effects of a potent cannabinoid drug. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We go in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are murder, assisted suicide, self-harm, and drug use. Cannabinoid. That's a good word. That's how you say it. I don't think I said it that way. It's fine. So... This is a patron-selected movie. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, Doug. And this movie came out in 2017. When I was looking up what happened in 2017, it kind of was not a super fun year in the news. So I pulled a few, like, big headlines and then a few kind of fun things. This was um, the, the downhill slide. Yeah. In 2017... 2.9 million people attended the Women's March in opposition to the inauguration of Donald Trump, making it the single biggest protest in U.S. history. Hurricane Harvey dropped 60 inches of rain in Houston in August, which led to catastrophic flooding. And then Hurricane Irma, the world's longest-lasting powerful hurricane or typhoon ever recorded, bore down on Florida, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. France bans too thin fashion models and makes labeling of digitally enhanced photos mandatory. The world record for the gathering of Charlie Chaplin lookalikes was held in Vivi, Switzerland. There were 662 Charlie Chaplins there. It's actually pronounced Vivi, and the only reason I know, know that is because Laurie says that in the Little Women movie. Oh, cool. All right. Because there's and, like an art institute in Vivi. Oh, and Wonder Woman was released, making it the first superhero film directed by a woman. Oh, okay. That was actually good. I don't remember if the movie was actually good, but I just remember that opening sequence and just seeing the Amazons and coming out of that movie and being like, I dare a man to look at me sideways. Good times, good times. But yeah, that that year, not so good. Well, it was just like bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. So I was like, what are some other things that happened? No, I remember during Hurricane Harvey, like, because it hit Austin and my apartment was flooded. We had a lot of water damage that it took months for them to repair. Awful. Yeah. And that, you know, was only a fraction of what happened, like in Houston and up by the coast and everything. Oh, yeah. For sure. It was just how widespread its reach was because like even there was um, there was a play going on downtown on the fourth floor of a building and it had to cancel because the other floors of the building were getting flooded. I remember that. Mm -hmm. So today we are talking about Woodshock. Not Woodstock. No, not Woodstock. Woodshock. Uh, I don't think either one of us had seen this movie, and I had not even heard of it until Doug mentioned it. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about this. This kind of must have flown under the radar. We must have been doing something. Um, I do remember Doug mentioning this during our episode of Black Coat's Daughter that we did. I think this was his recommendation. So this was a new watch for both of us, and I always love discovering new things. Totally. And it's A24, which... Those films are in and of itself like their own genre, I feel. They're just known for this very like atmospheric, moody type of film. And it's funny because a po another podcast that I listened to, Colors of the Dark, just did a countdown of their favorite A24 horror movies. So it's like, oh, this is a weird synchronistic 
thing that's happening. Um, they did not pick Woodshock f- for their list, but they did mention it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it has interesting origins because the writers and directors are fashion designers. That's a pair of sisters that uh, founded the fashion label Rodart, which uh, Kirsten Dunst is featured heavily in. And they wrote this script. And so it's, I just find that really interesting that they chose film because it does feel like there are a lot of fashion films. Look it up. It's a thing. And it's kind of interesting to me that they like made the jump into into a thriller type drama. They worked on Black Swan and helped with the costumes for that. Which those costumes, stunning. Really gorgeous. And like, and that's the thing in this too. It's like, because of course they had a huge hand in the design and the costumes. And you can totally see how curated and thought out those those style points are. So it actually is quite a beautiful aesthetic movie. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I wrote in my notes that it's gauzy. It's kind of like there's like a gauze curtain that you're looking through the whole time and everything's just soft and flowy and beautiful. It's hazy. Hazy, that's a good one. Yeah, it's like very hazy camera work that feels, again, very atmospheric. I heard it called in an article, or I read an article, it was called um, Honey Dipped. So I don't know if they're talking about like the tone tonality of it. I can see that. I believe the cinematographer um, is Finnish, and it definitely gives me like Scandinavian vibes. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. But there are some beautiful shots. Like there's one part where the character is playing with a crystal vase, and the light's refracting off of it, and it's just gorgeous and then there are some really cool shots where it'll be a shot of something with kind of like this overshot of something else does that make sense yeah they do that a lot and and it's done really well too like um the poster one of the posters is like that it's like her face but her face is kind of like semi-transparent and there's a thing showing either over it or through it yeah yeah it just so to watch this, to look at it, it was visually very appealing. It also has some really stunning, stunning um, visuals with redwoods, like in the forest, and just how small Kirsten Dunst looks next to these giant redwoods. Just really gorgeous, gorgeous shots. They said that they had initially wanted to tell a story about the redwood forest, And that from the landscape, they developed the character of Teresa. They kind of compared it to a creation myth, a woman who was birthed out of a landscape and beauty and destruction. I also heard it compared to a type of Alice in Wonderland type film. Which I had a note about that in my notes, too. Uh, But they also talk about what you said, uh, her being small, Um, that she's small in the beginning and overcome by the landscape, but at the end she's powerful and, spoiler alert, we're going to get to the ending, she kind of like levitates into the forest. and That shot in particular was probably my favorite of the whole film. It's just that final shot because it just was so striking. And yeah, she's just like ascending. It also gave me, it reminded me of The Witch. Very different movies. How how she's levitating up into the trees and she's growing and she's bigger and she, it just looked cool. Both A24 movies. Was that A24? Yeah. I knew that. Usually with our films, we kind of break them down in our notes into like act one, act two, act three, and the important beats within those acts. This is a very vibey, atmospheric movie, and I had a hard time with that. So we're just going to talk about it. Yeah. Also, drink every time we say the word atmospheric. (laughs) Because we're going to say it a lot. But two, it is a linear story, but there is something that feels nonlinear about that, about it. And that's hard to kind of break up into acts, if you will, break up into beats. Thank you for saying that. Yes, because, yeah, the story is told. I mean, it it seems sequentially, you know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end because of just the type of movie it is. Yeah, it kind of feels like it is nonlinear, even though it's not. 
which I'm really into that. I just saw a play recently by Carol Churchill called Ben. There was an interview done with her a long time ago because it came out in the 80s. And I was talking to my friend about it. Basically, she said that nonlinear storytelling is inherently more feminist than telling a story sequentially. How come? Good question. I think, again, it kind of just falls into like how how the world and how our media is set up for men, like our work days, like how there's a work day rather than, you know, it's based on a man's cycle and not like a woman's cycle. Do you know what I mean? How we consume media is very much from a male masculine perspective. To me, that kind of makes sense because everything, when I think of masculine, I think of straightforward. It's just kind of like a straight line. Not necessarily that that's what it is, that that's just the visual that comes to my head. But then with the feminine, that feels like more in the flow. So the story can flow in and out of these different parts and circle back to different things and still make sense at the end. Interesting. I'll have to think on that. Yeah, I mean, that's just food for thought. Take it or leave it. That just could be something in my wacky little brain. But there, I, I did find it interesting that it was a pair of sisters that wrote and directed this that are very much in the art world, in the fashion world. And they took a very nonlinear approach to storytelling in a way. It feels like vignettes. Yeah. Like little vignettes. So it's like, I do think, like you said, it does seem like it's shot sequ- sequentially, but there's something about it that just feels kind of flowy. The opening is this kind of eerie, I wrote music slash noise, because I wasn't actually sure if it was music or what, over black. Yeah, did you watch this with it with your dog, perchance? Because mine was in the living room and that really high-pitched sound came on, and he was at attention. He's like, excuse me, what is happening? <laughs> Who's in my house? And then it flashes, like, it doesn't fade in, it, like flashes Mm -hmm. to the redwood forest and her voiceover saying remember when we used to play in the woods together and you see her in a tiny tiny figure appearing from behind this giant redwood tree she's like this tiny little white speck she says talks about how she got lost and she said when they found me i almost didn't want to come back And then the next shot from there is a close-up, a bunch of close-ups, first on a vial, then of some drops going into a bag, close-ups of her rolling, and I don't know anything about... Marijuana? Yeah, the smoking of the weeds. She's rolling a spliff. Okay. And it is laced with something. What's the difference between a spliff and a joint? I think they're all the same. Also, I don't know much about drugs, but I probably know more about drugs than you do. Yeah. Cool. All right. So joint split, spliff, doobie. She's rolling it up. Marijuana to cigarette. To smoke it. Yeah. But she's not going to smoke it. No. And you see a close-up of her tying a bow. There is a woman in bed who you can clearly tell is her mother. Casting is very good. They 100% look like they could be related. It gave me throwbacks to virgin suicides just because it was just these very blonde women in linen-y, cottony gowns with bows. And she asks her, are you sure you want to do this? It's very clear her mom is sick. Yeah, I- they do a really good job of not like being over the top with her with her illness, but they do convey it like with her laying in the bed. She has the IV in her hand. They're just like some small indicators that that she's ill. So you see Kirsten Dunst, who plays Teresa, turn away from her mom and she lights it up and she's crying while she does this. And then she just lays next to her mom as her mom smokes this. Mm -hmm. And there's this amazing shot in the mirror where her head is turned away from her mom. Yeah. And you just see everything on her face. Yeah, it's cool because you can see everything's on her face, but you can also see what's happening behind. So it's like you're getting the full picture, but you can see that the characters aren't. And then I wrote Broken Trees. Broken Trees. Now I have a question for you. Like, so obviously this was an assisted suicide. To me, this was an assisted suicide. So maybe not obviously. I feel like this was an assisted suicide because I think she knew what she was doing. I think the mother knew that what what she was doing. I don't think it was like one of those things. And also because she said Keith said it won't hurt. Everything points 
to me, or no, everything doesn't point to me. Everything points to that it was an assisted suicide. And so there's this shot. Is it dusk? Is it dawn? It's one of those two times where the light's really, really beautiful. And she's out in this in this kind of faded field. And there are these uh, redwoods that are kind of like cut. They've been cut or torn down. Probably cut. I, I'm not I'm not a tree cutter. I don't know. A but, lumberjack? Uh, I'm not an arborist. I'm not a, lum- a lumberjack. Definitely not. Uh, anywho, I need to stop embarrassing myself. But but they're obviously they've been cut. So she's standing there in the midst of these three trees that have been cut down. It's like, oh, does that like represent her mom being cut down? Like, mm. well, she because I mean, she looked young. So it was just I didn't know. It was just kind of it was a very um, somber visual right after that scene. So to me, it, it felt very heavy with loss. Yeah. Interesting thought. Yeah. Who knows? I also, now that I think about it, when I say broken trees, makes me kind of think of later on when she's trying to build the fence and they're kind of, there's some broken boards and they're sticking up at weird angles and stuff. So I wonder if that relates back to this. Well, it's like trying to fix something that's broken, make something be there that isn't supposed to be there, that doesn't work. I don't have a lot of answers with this movie. Mm-mm. It's just more kind of questions and ponderings and observations. But we do see cutting of logs. Yeah, that that felt important. The way we see that, that several times. Yeah, and I feel like that to me somehow that relates back to like what we're seeing because we see the we see kind of like the graveyard of these tree stumps that have been cut down, the broken the broken tree stumps, and then you go into like, to me, it looks almost like corpses stacked on top of each other. Oh, like, I hadn't thought of that. Well, because and they're all numbered. It just felt really, it felt really somber and heavy. It didn't just feel like, oh, I'm looking at a bunch of trees that have been cut down. It 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 felt really sad. There is a scene just a little bit after this where Teresa is talking to her boyfriend Nick, and he kills a moth. And she asks him, do you ever regret it cutting everything down? And he says, sometimes. It seems like it's it's the theme of loss. It's like the loss of the trees, the loss of the trees to the forest, the loss of her mom. Also, too, it's like it seems like she's kind of posing posing him a question. Ask, And she's asking herself, like, do you regret what you did? Because I don't know how I would feel if I assisted my mother. You know, I'm sure that that would be a very conflicting decision, regardless of your relationship or the circumstances. So to me, it almost seemed like she was asking herself that question. You're giving me a lot to think about. I think about things sometimes and my brain hurts. I don't know if she was living there before or if they just moved in because he tells her, oh, you've got almost everything unpacked. He says, we can get our own place. Mm -hmm. But she says that her mom wanted them to live there. Yeah. And he also tells her that he found the money she was hiding. And she also has the vial of stuff hidden in the jar with the money. Yeah. And that seem that all seems very important and symbolic too. So, Say, what do you think it's symbolic of? I have no clue, but if I think of it, I will interject later. Also, this boyfriend to me, just as we go on, but he just clearly demonstrates from his first scene, he's not the type of partner you want when you are experiencing loss. No. Or when you're experiencing any kind of intense emotion. Because he doesn't really seem to be um, emotionally available or in tune with what she's feeling or might be needing. And he's never there. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't really see why they're together. Like, there's never kind of an indicator of that. It just seems like they just happen to to be together. Yeah. And he does say that he'll have to work more hours. But still, they're just never together, hardly. They're never together, but also feels like... Does he not want her to have independence? Because, like, does he take the money? Does he leave it? I'm not positive on that. I think he leaves it. Because it seems to me like, because 
because Keith comes up to him in the bar. They have a conversation. Yes, and she asked. She had asked Keith for more hours. Well, and Keith tells her that he saw Nick, her boyfriend, in the bar. And she says something about, like, how did that go? And he says, I think about as well as you could have expected or something like that. So clearly there's no love lost between Keith and Nick. Yeah, well, I think Keith is in love with Teresa. I think she, I think he is too. And I'm wondering if maybe they had an affair or if maybe they were together at some point. It might be one of those things where they just like have this connection and everyone knows, everyone in the relationship knows it. And it's just not something they talk about and it's not something that they've acted on. It doesn't feel like something they've acted on, but they do have an intimacy together. Because there's a couple of things that make me just wonder about like their relationship. There's one point where she asks him, how long have we known each other? Mm Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find it in my notes real quick because I wrote it down. There was like some weight to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, she said, how long have we known each other? And he says, depends. Depends. But we never find out depends on what. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, it de- Or it depends on who you ask. Then also Nick keeps asking her, who were you with? Where were you? Which if my partner left in the middle of the night fair but he seems very much i think he knows the answer or he thinks he knows the answer whether anything did happen between them or not there's some reason that nick is suspicious well like how many times do you see that done i mean in books in movies television where it's like Oh, the girl and the guy that are best friends and they just they just really get along and they get each other and they never act on anything. But they just kind of have this this connection and this intimacy, but they might have other partners and the partners are aware of it and they're aware of it. But for some reason, they don't want to act on it. That's what it gave me. That's the vibe it gave me. Okay, and I think that's fair because we don't know anything else. And maybe they don't even know. And that's very true. Because they're not real. (laughs) There's a lot of really gorgeous work with this big neon leaf that is at the dispensary. So pretty. I feel like, I don't know when the neon trend started, but it just, oh, they do it so, so, so well. And then you can maybe help me with this one as well. Sure. When she makes an outline of herself with flowers in the bed next to Nick. Okay, so what are flowers? Let's plant. Let's yeah, well they're plants, it's life, it it's it's color, vibrance. I'm just spitballing because honestly that kind of I don't know. It felt kind it felt like they talk about sometimes when you lose somebody, um, particularly someone who's very, very close to you, like a parent or something, that there's the before you and the after you. And so maybe that's, a, this is so off the wall and probably not, they're like, girl, it, it was just flowers. <laughs> like it wasn't anything deep, but it's like a part of herself. It feels like an absence, like she's absent in the relationship and there's a part of her that she, that maybe she isn't connected to. Well, it's kind of like it's a placeholder. Yeah. Like, you know, your body's there, but your mind isn't type of thing. Mm -hmm. She's still in the relationship, but she's not in the relationship. Yeah, her mind, her heart, nothing is there because she's just overcome with this grief. Like Kirsten Dunst, does sad so well like I don't want to be sad but she does it so well that I'm just like damn I will never be as good at being sad as she is get her and the little girl from Megan in a movie together and you'll just be sad all the time depression and of course when Keith tells her sometimes you look like your mom Keith is kind of an idiot and also he's kind of the one encouraging her to go out because she makes a comment at some point. I don't remember when. Because again, this like the timelines are all wibbly wobbly for me. She makes a comment that her boyfriend doesn't like to go out that much. And Keith seems to be the one that's trying to get her out to go to places. Because she like she comes back to work. Then he's like, oh, come to this house party. And 
come see these people. And he seems to be the one that's like trying to acclimate her back into the the real world. Yeah, because she's men- she mentions to her boyfriend that she hasn't left the house. And he doesn't say anything like, oh, you need to get out. Or he does tell her she needs to take better care of herself. But that seems about as like far as he goes. He's like, this is this is a thought. <laughs> like, here's in pr- like, I don't know how to do it, but you should probably do it. Like, it might be a good idea for you to do those things. Yeah, he's just, again, not supportive, not there, just feels very absent. Almost all of the shots of her. Because they just have all these beautiful shots and she's alone and she just feels so small and so isolated. Yeah, there's a lot of shots of her like up against a giant tree laying on the stump and you just see how small she is compared to everything around her. It's like, I wonder if, again, this might be too symbolic, but it's like that's how grief feels when you're going through it. It just feels so big. I I don't know if that's what that is, but it came to mind. I think it's interesting. We'll talk about Ed and Keith now. Um, In the dispensary, Keith is pruning a rose bush. Yes. And Ed comes in and tells him that the dispensary used to be a flower shop. It's where his wife bought the flowers for their wedding. And then he asks about Teresa. I think they were kind of friends. Basically, I I don't know if he knows what they did for Teresa's mom or not, but he says that he can't. Oh, Keith tells him it won't hurt. And he said it can't hurt more than it already does. Ed is visibly ill. I think they don't really establish this and that's okay. But it seems like they're wa- like moonlighting is kind of angels of death. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what he's giving Ed this certain strain for. So dispensary. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I'm curious. Why doesn't it kill her when she smokes all those joints, spliffs, that are laced with the same stuff that killed her mom? But it's like she she's hallucinating. She's mm. is she dead? I don't know if she's dead. And maybe it's not. Maybe she doesn't give herself as much. Okay, because I was why would you prefer? Okay, here's the thing. Why would you prepare five joints laced with poison if one could do it? I don't know. So I wonder if it was more of a gradual thing because she goes from contemplating the suicide to rolling, you know, making these five different joints. I think it's five. Yeah, she makes five. I and, she does, and then she she goes into the woods, she smokes the first one, and it doesn't kill her. And then she smokes the next one in the morning, and she starts having hallucinations. And then she keeps, it just keeps building upon itself. So I don't know if the laced poison, the poison joints are symbolic of something else. Because all of this operate, all of this is operating around the idea of extreme grief. And how debilitating grief is. I was just kind of wondering if maybe Keith got something wrong and it didn't actually kill her mom. Maybe her mom just died and she thought that she killed her. I mean, that's that's possible. So they give Ed this laced marijuana. Yeah. But it doesn't work for him. But then this other guy, Johnny, dies. And so Keith thinks that Teresa switched the the strains. But he also said everybody knows Johnny was mixed up in a lot of shit. But is that, is, is that, I, I feel like that's going, oh, that's going to cover our butts. Right. That's what that feels like. What I'm wondering is if they didn't switch him up and Johnny did just die from something unrelated. Uh Uh-huh. And that's why the stuff didn't work for Ed. And that's why it didn't kill Teresa. And that may be beside the point. The filmmakers may be like, no, why are you even thinking that? It's just this feels a- like a very symbolic movie. So I feel like everything is a symbol. It's just a wonder that I had. Well, I just wonder, my wonder is why would she roll five of them if only one would do it? Yeah. That's what she- I'm confused about. Because she does when she's making Ed's, she like gets a drop on her finger and she licks it off. And then you see like 
I don't know, some flashes of color or something that shows that, oh, this thing just kind of had a moment. Well, and in the beginning when she lights the joint for her mom, does it's like she smokes a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, and maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe she's built up somewhat of a tolerance. So she's harder to kill. So, yeah, I'm just curious because that would also... I don't know, play in towards the end, sorry, jumping to the end, where she, when she kills Keith, it would be like, maybe he didn't actually have anything to do with her mom's death. And he's getting punished for something that didn't actually happen. I mean, it's possible. I don't know. Like I was saying, this could just all be like, off on a completely different railroad track like well because if it's all in her head and none of that actually happened then that if that's what they were going for then that's what you got it's just just a wonder it's a wonder and what's your wow <laughs> but anyway, we 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 digressed off. yeah so sorry we will get back maybe we will get back to something well let's because we we talked about the house party that's where she meets the one the one kid what's his name johnny Johnny, where she meets Johnny. And that's the kid that later on comes in after Ed. And um, later, Ed comes back into the into the dispensary. And he's like, hey, this didn't work. I'm still alive. Later, we find out Johnny, this kid that she was kind of flirting with, that was kind of flirting with her, is the one who, who died. Yes. So that leads Keith to believe that Teresa mixed things up. So he, like, meets her in the woods and is like, did you do this? And this is kind of where I was like, oh, are things going to take off? Now it's going to be this whole, like, do we have to cover up, like, what we did? But it, it wasn't that at all. No. I thought I thought things were going to really take off and, like, it was going to pick up speed. But it definitely kept that slow burn throughout the entire movie. Did you notice that she's touching wood a lot? Like, she's either touching the trees or the wood paneling on the walls or the wood floor. She just all seems to be touching. Well, wood. if you if you look wood, but if you look at her mom's bedroom suite, her mom's bedroom furniture is all wood. Mm-hmm. And she lays on the floor and she's like touching stuff. So I wonder if that's like a connection to her mom. This is also what we get for recording really late at night. So... <laughs> Yes, we're very philosophical right we're now. We're philosophical Sorry. and vibey and atmospheric, and we've just got a lot to say. So welcome to a very special episode of Fatal Films. I wrote, coming out of the car wash, coming out of the dark. Oh, because there's a scene where she's in the car wash, and it's all dark, and you kind of see the thing doing the sudsy on the windshield. Mm -hmm. And then when you pull out, then it's this very bright light. Yeah, that's what I got there. Again, isolating... Very much that like that's probably again a callback to grief. It could just be really pretty. Yeah. But yeah, so like after Ed is still lives with whatever terminal illness he has, and Johnny is now dead. It's like the grief is now mixed with guilt, and it's like her emotional state is becoming even more fragile. There's an amazing shot where she's looking in the mirror in the bathroom and she just kind of keeps leaning in closer and closer. And then all of a sudden it kind of turns like blood splattered. Mm -hmm. That's where I wrote through the looking glass. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like a very fucked up, depressed Alice in Wonderland. It's not Wonderland. It's Griefland. <laughs> yeah. Kirsten Dunst in Griefland. I don't know who the Mad Hatter is. Maybe Keith? I don't know. There is, oh, a th time where she's made this cake and it has Nick's name on it. And yeah, then and she, she's like, scraping it off. With a fork. Yeah, she's not eating the cake. She's just scraping the name off. And then when he asks, when she goes out to meet um, Keith at the car wash, the next day Nick asks her, who were you with? And she goes, it's not about that. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, got it. I got things mixed up. I thought she went with Keith to the woods, but you're right. She met him at the car wash. I it's just like, thought that does was she have it? Well, she might have. Is it a history of infidelity? Is he? Has he been? Has she, has he been unfaithful? So he's like, or is he just seeing the change in her and seeing her behavior become more and more unlike her, to where he doesn't 
know what she's doing or what she's capable of. So I just, that was just very interesting to me, that response. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just gonna, just things that I thought were interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. there's a really cool shot where she's, I can't remember if it's when she's mixing the the poison with the weed or with she, when she's putting it in the jar for Ed, but there's like these geometric shapes that are, purple and pink that kind of float across her face yeah and those show up later too they show up later across the sky yeah weird and there's a really cool another cool shot with a mirror where she's like looking in the mirror she i'm pretty sure she's at home Mm -hmm. and then the the neon pot leaf is like shining through the window and the whole room is like bathed in green light mm-hmm. she also puts on a sweater that was on the floor then immediately goes takes it off puts it in the washer and dumps a whole bottle of bleach on it did it smell like her mom and she's I like don't know. nope don't want to smell her um that was the night after the house party that's right oh where they have the birthday candles and they make a wish. Mm-hmm. She breaks a bunch of eggs in the sink. Oh, yeah, because she gets into the fridge because she's looking for Because the, there's the cake with all the forked out nickname. On top <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick's name forked out on the cake. But she doesn't go yeah. for the cake, which by now I bet is stale. But she goes for eggs. And then she, like, starts gagging at the eggs. And then instead of, like, throwing them away, she breaks them all in the sink. And she goes around and it's like she can hear something. Yes. And she's looking for something. Yeah. She opens all the cabinets and the cabinets are pretty much all empty. Yeah. It's almost like they don't really live there. Well, it's like if they just moved in and that could be more representative, representative of the fact that she's not really living. Oh, and this is also where she there's a knife on the table. We see several times a place setting on the table, but the plate's always empty. There's never any food. The only food we see her put on that table is the cake. But like you said, she doesn't eat it. She just kind of picks at it. And so she digs the point of the knife into her finger and then wipes the blood on the lace tablecloth. But we never find out what she hears, and she doesn't seem to find it either. Mm-mm. She looks for it, and she scours the house, and she cannot find it. She rips up all the artwork that Ed made for her. Yeah, that was, I don't know, gosh, I don't feel smart enough for this movie. I feel like that has to do with the grief as well, because at this point, I'm not sure if she knows that he's still alive. No, I think she knows he's still alive. Okay. Like after he comes and gets the strain where she thinks, because he comes in and goes like, I'll be, I'll see you around. Yeah. And we're like, oh, sad. And then she ha- puts the little blackbird painting up on the fridge. This is well after that. That's right. That's right. It is. Sorry. It. No, it just. I thought all- my notes were out of order. And it's like, and we might not touch on anything, but that's why you should go watch the movie and see what you see for yourself. But I will say there, she has this really stunning moment where she's dressed up in this beautiful black dress. Yes. And she's got, and she puts, she like mashes up a blackberry and uses the blackberry juice as lipstick. And I was like, ooh, this is, this is very, this is giving, this is giving. There's a shot that is so cool where she's laying on her mom's bed, but the mattress is gone. So she's just laying on the slats. Yeah. Like, again, just stunning visuals on point. She's wearing this beautiful dress with this just she looks gorgeous. And then she's just like out at their local bar dancing with with Joe. Isn't that his name? No, Keith is the other dude. The boyfriend. Yeah. She's dancing with the boyfriend. No, she's not. She's dancing with Keith. He asked Why her to come out. Do they look the same? I would put money that was the boyfriend. Maybe I got it wrong. But In the Keith, red shirt? Keith calls her and says, come out and meet me. Yeah. And she, and she said, I can't leave right now. And then she gets dressed up and she goes to the bar. And I thought she met Keith. Did she meet Nick? 
Oh, it's Nick, not Joe. That's his real name in real life. Oh God, I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was Nick. Well, whatever. She's she's with one of them. It's this yeah. weird, very depressing bar scene. Yeah. Where she like is so out of place because she's so glamorous and beautiful, and then everything around is like you know wood paneling, feels like a bar that would have been in our hometown. Yeah. And they're just like kind of very awkwardly slow dancing, and there really isn't music and no one else is dancing and I don't remember the conversation that they were having but he was saying something to her he says what did you do Teresa that was Nick because he asked her that constantly like after she hallucinates and makes the fence and he wakes up he's like what did you do Teresa but then when she gets home because I wrote this down Nick says you need to tell me where you've been and she pulls him close <gasps> and says, you make me sick. And I remember. I remember. I got it mixed up. I got it mixed up. What do you do, Teresa, is what Keith says. Laura, they look alike. They do. They look so alike. Their hair color. It's like the one has more facial hair. Yeah. I can't be expected to keep these two men separate in my head. I can't <laughs> That's be, okay. I can't be expected to tell them apart. That's just too much for me. It's, I'm not, it's not in my bandwidth. I'm just going to combine them and call them Nick Keith. Keith Nick. Neath. Neath. But yeah, that's right. Because so she's at the little bar, sad bar, sad dancing with sad Keith. And then she leaves and she's like, I'm going to go to the woods. Yep. So she goes to the woods and she goes into a house in the woods and it's Ed's house. And he's alive and he's like, Teresa. And he's like, happy to see her. And she confesses that she kills Johnny. Yeah. Or that she killed Johnny to him. And then he dies right in front of her. I was kind of wondering if he was dead the whole time. It happened that fast that I was kind of wondering, too, if she just stumbled in, hallucinated that he was talking to her, and then came to and was like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Because then this just further deteriorates her emotional state. Nick asks her, or says, tell me where you've been. And she, like... Goes right in his ear and goes, you make me sick. And then she's like, kicks the door shut. It's this amazing shot. You see the back of her and her legs just like stretched out, holding the door closed. And she's still in the really beautiful dress. It was very, very, very aesthetic. But yeah, so she does that. And then she ends up back at Keith's. And this is close to the end. So this is almost the end. So it's like she hasn't smoked the last joint yet but she I think she's had two or three by this point yes and each time she's hallucinating more and more and like her behavior is becoming increasingly erratic so at this point so she has this huge blow up for apparently no reason at Nick he doesn't seem to understand but he doesn't understand much then she ends up back at Keith's house Keith's house I can't say (laughs) she ends up back at Keith's house and he's got a lot of beaded curtains. He does. And he has really cute birds. Yeah. And when he puts the one bird on his toothbrush handle. I I very much like that. That was, that was again, one of my favorite things. Because I was worried he was going to hurt the bird. But then he just wanted the bird to perch on his toothbrush while he brushed his teeth. She does tell Nick after she slams the door on him, I don't want to hurt you. So I don't know if she thinks that she's just randomly killing people or i don't know well because it seems like death is following her wherever she goes she doesn't want to inadvertently kill nick and before she ends up at keith's place there's this scene of her like running through the woods and then her running through a street and then like her running through the woods (laughs) running through the woods running through the streets then running through the woods yeah she throws up And yeah, at Keith's, she's a mess. Like she's got a a bruise on her cheek or something. And she's Um, all scratched up from, I think it was the night before she was out in the woods. mm -hmm. But it looks like she scraped up her, her legs on tree bark. She also made the fence. Yes. um, And hurt herself doing that. Yes. And that's when she sees herself 
she's out making the fence and then she sees herself making the fence and what she saw was all these like perfectly lined up boards but then when she comes to they're all like crooked and at weird angles and stuff barely in the earth because when she goes out to clean up her mess because joe tells her she better clean this up because he's not going to or whatever he said to her super supportive yeah that she just goes out and she's able to dig these sticks out of the ground with like no effort like one-handedly so at keith's he asks her like has nick seen you what's going on and she says don't call him and he says you told him what we did and then she just starts screaming like you can't even say it you can't say that we killed her he's trying to calm her down important thing he was ironing when she came in yes so she he gets the phone to call nick and she goes over and like starts kind of She's burning her, her fingers on the iron. Yeah, and he asks her to stop and comes over to try to get her to stop. And she um, smashes the iron in his face. Yeah, iron face down on his face. So she's burning him. He's wrestling her to the ground. And then she's able to get the upper hand. She hits him with the iron. And then she gets on top of him and just keeps hitting. All while the poor birds are watching. Yeah. But yeah, she just keeps hitting, she keeps hitting until Keith is dead. So now she's added another body to the, another notch in her belt. And she's covered in blood in the woods and she lights up the last poison joint and she's standing on the redwood stump and then she starts to like rise up into the air. Because well, I think this time, this joint was the one that, for lack of a better term, did the job. Mm. So now she's able to be at peace because that's what it kind of looks like as she's levitating up into the redwoods. It looks like she's just overcome with like the sense of kind of wonder and peace, but all of the anguish and grief has melted away. You you think it would just kind of cut to black there, but it doesn't. We get like the glow of the marijuana leaf again and we get another shot of like the redwoods being cut into boards. Mm -hmm. The very final shot is one that's a callback to something that happened earlier, which she passed out in the yard and it was a close up of her face. And the last shot is just that same shot of her eye and she closes it. Mm -hmm. And that is Woodshock. There's a couple of other just cool shots I wanted to kind of mention. There's a few times where there's one time where she, her feet levitate off the floor. Mm -hmm. And then one time there's a shot where the house levitates, but the one when she's in the bathtub, it's just, it's like a just a little bit of water. And then all of a sudden she looks down and there's more water and there's like petals and leaves floating. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I love it. It was really pretty. Yeah. Again, I feel, I hope we did this movie justice because I do not feel smart enough. There's so many things and it's just so beautiful. Like it's one of those movies. It's really hard to describe because there's so many shots that are just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it kind of very different movie, but it reminded me of Valerie and her Week of Wonders, only in the sense of how stunning the the movie itself was. I can see that. Because, again, that movie, the story, I, I couldn't tell you what the story was, although there was a girl named Valerie. But I remember just how beautiful the movie was. Oh, there were vampires, weren't there? Yes. See? I pay attention. But, yeah, so it's like, it's it's one of those movies, like... Did I understand every aspect? No. Am I going to have to rewatch it? Absolutely. And I would definitely recommend people watch. Like, I would recommend someone watch it as long as, like, uh, they weren't in the grief process. That wasn't a fresh wound. Um, like, none of those triggers were their triggers. Because it just is one of those movies that just is visually stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. I will be very interested to see what else these filmmakers do. You know, I feel like it's a pretty solid 
debut feature. Oh, absolutely. And that they will just get stronger as they go. It also would be really interesting to see what they did with a script that they didn't write. Yes. They took a long time to write this movie. I think it took them a couple years. It's also interesting. I like it when you see siblings working together because... Yes, I was very excited to see that because you don't often see movies directed and written by sisters. Yeah. Like, I think it's more common for brothers, but you don't see a lot of sisters. And of course, I love Kirsten Dunst. I have for as long as I can remember um, one of those. I am a millennial. I I ride at dawn for Kirsten Dunst. It's like she was our she was our childhood. It's like from Little Women to Jumanji to Bring It On to what's another one i'm trying to see spider-man spider-man like she's been at elizabeth town which is a little bit of a deeper cut i really liked her in fargo fargo and that's the thing it's like she has been able to evolve in her career like she started as a child actor and then she became like this teen sensation and then she became this a-list leading woman in my opinion, at least I thought she was. And then now she's still that, but she's transitioning to these very um, dense character roles that aren't always pretty and they're very complex. And I really like watching what she's doing because she's just, she's so talented. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Cultural reset. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. But yeah, and and there it's like and then she has films too like Melancholia which I haven't seen yet. No, I haven't seen that yet. Um I want to, but um Mona Lisa Smile. Okay, I that is one of my favorite movies. If you didn't know, that says a lot about me. But it's like uh, her she's so good in that. So, like I can't think of a movie where I'm like, yeah, Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst was she was fine. Like I just you just love her. Yeah, she's just she's so strong and she doesn't overact either she doesn't overact she's not afraid to get messy she's not afraid to get dirty and get her get you know down in the mud and roll around a little bit whatever that means emotionally or actually yeah that's true but i think it's a testament to her and her talent and and her intelligence as well that she's been able to navigate uh her career for as long as she have has through so many different eras let's talk about some reviews reviews okay so this wasn't like super well received (laughs) no it wasn't panned but it wasn't loved either boyd van hoji ah yes from the hollywood reporter said Indeed, Woodchuck's images would look great in a commercial or music video, but as part of either the real world or the subconscious of a woman trying to deal with the strange intersection of grief, death, and medical marijuana, they don't add up to any greater insight at any kind of intellectual or emotional level. It's clear the protagonist is both lost on that word that you said, cannaboid... Cannabinoid? Drugs. But this state of depression needs neither needs either more nuance or some kind of development that is sorely lacking here. And then Guy Lodge at Variety said, the good news is that the celebrated sisterly duo behind, how's that company pronounced? I think it's Rodart. Rodart. Or, or Rodart. Couture label brings much of their singularly striking, busy aesthetic to the screen. With its layers upon layers of filters, lens flares, neon imprints, overlaid floral motifs, and crystalline refractions, the film is an extravagantly embellished as one of their most gop-worthy gowns. Yet this sparse meditation on a legal cannabis dealer sent into concentric spirals of trauma and hallucination by her mother's death could desperately use some extra detailing at the level of character and psychology. As it is, the vicarious intrigue of watching someone else's increasingly distant drug trip burns out pretty fast, leaving viewers with an obtruse fusion of stoner cinema and slow cinema that plays to no obvious audience. A24 can play up Woodshock's attractive 
cultish trappings ahead of its stateside opening on September 22nd, but it'd be more seductive as a nightclub background projection than as a theatrical experience. Ooh, I would like to see that on a nightclub background. So they all agree that it's really pretty. But but it lacks substance. Yeah. Which it's like, I think it had substance. I think it just, it wasn't spelling anything out for you. I think you had to do some work. Yeah, which a lot of people, critics included, often don't like. So it's like, here's the thing. I love when women, so I'm all for what they created. Is it something that was, what's the word? Um, A commercial success? No. But did I enjoy it? Yes. Like I said before, I feel like it's a solid debut feature. And I'm really interested to see what they'll do with their aesthetic and their filmmaking and just what's next for them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that answer is. It's been about five years Five or six years since this movie came out, so... So, what rating do you give it? I think I'm going to give this one a B, just because... This is because I'm about to contradict myself. Because it's like, I don't want the information handed to me, but I also don't want to have to work super hard to get the point. And I did feel like I had to work pretty hard to get there. Like, I think... I think overall I did but yeah I think I think that could have been a little more fleshed out I think that's my only that's the critique um visuals stunning Kirsten Dunst stunning uh Redwoods stunning I give this one a b plus because oh we're doing pluses well we can okay well that's fine I'm just gonna stick because I always try to just stick with like whole letter grades okay you do you well a b or a b plus then For the reasons that I stated before. Do you have a recommendation? Oh, no, I do have one, actually. Because this this movie was giving me Sofia Coppola vibes, like, the whole time. So I actually have two. Oh, Um, okay. Because I do... I'm a product of the early aughts. And I worshipped Sofia Coppola. I thought she was, like, the coolest thing. Is she a Nepo baby? Absolutely. But did she make the coolest version of Marie Antoinette I've ever seen? Absolutely. So my first recommendation is Marie Antoinette from 2006. It is written and directed directed by Sofia Coppola. Um, it stars Kirsten Dunst and Jason Schwartzman, Rick Torn, Steve Coogan, Judy Davis. There are a ton of names in this movie. Hi there. So something happened and we lost the very end of our episode. So just to kind of fill in what information was lost, Lacey's other recommendation was The Virgin Suicides. She did say check the trigger warnings, and I always recommend checking the trigger warnings on any of our recommendations because we don't go in depth on things as we do with the films we talk about for the episode so yeah just make sure that it's suitable for you to watch my recommendation was Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me because this film with the redwood trees and just kind of how fragmented feeling it was and their aesthetic they reminded me a lot of David Lynch so I thought that would be a really great pairing However, don't watch the movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me unless you've watched the Twin Peaks TV show, unless you want it spoiled for you. Because in the film, you do find out who killed Laura Palmer, which is a season and a half of the TV show. The film is directed by David Lynch. It stars Cheryl Lee. It stars Cheryl Lee, Ray Wise, and Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, sorry, recording this last little bit on the fly, so I don't have the synopsis in front of me, but it's very easy to find out. It follows the last days of Laura Palmer while also investigating the death of Teresa Banks, which was another um, murder that was talked about in the Twin Peaks TV show. So thank you again, Doug, for being a patron and for introducing this movie to us. It was really a delight. A confusing delight, but one that I will be happy to watch again and see what else pops out at me. So we will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Fence. 
Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.